0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. My name is Dave Stovall. I'm the creative director for Discipleship.org and I'm your host for this podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today we're listening to a QA and a session from our point leader Bobby Herrington where he and Alex Absalom talk about discipleship, how to live a naturally supernatural life for the Lord, and practical tips on how to start changing the culture of your church into being a disciple-making focused church. Alex is from England, so you'll at the very least enjoy hearing him speak for his accent alone, but he said some pretty amazing things in this session that really moved me, and I think it'll move you too. So let's go ahead and dive into this Q&A session with Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom.
1: Welcome everybody. I'm Bobby Harrington, and I have the privilege of being the point leader of Discipleship.org at discipleship.org, we champion Jesus' style disciple-making and our vision. Or I could say it this way, we won't quit until there's disciple-making movements throughout North America in families, communities, and in churches. And uh, we really believe that kind of thing. Now, my friend Alex Absalom believes that kind of thing quite a bit too. <clears throat> in fact, his tagline is, for his movement is naturally supernatural disciple making. And uh, so I'd like to say a lot of things, Alex, about your background. Um, you're just a great guy to work with. But if you, if I put you on the spot, which I'm about to, and you had to tell a little bit about your background for those joining us, tell mm-hmm. us your background that leads up to and includes dandelion resourcing. <laughs> Uh, well, hello everyone. It's uh,
2: sorry to be with you. Great to be with you, Bobby, of course, as always. Um, so, uh, originally from England, I'm married to Hannah. Uh, we've Wait, got is two that two... an
1: English accent?
2: No, I just put it on for podcasts. Normally, <laughs> I... <laughs> Normally I speak like this. Um, so, we... <laughs> so, originally from England, uh, we've been a, uh, three young adult sons. We've been in church leadership all our married life, so 26, 27 years. We ch- started with a church plant in London when we were really young and I had lots of hair and stuff. And then we led in uh, several churches in the UK. And then in 2007, the Lord called us over to the States. And where we'd been in England was very much um, thoroughly post-Christian culture, very uh, having to pioneer, innovate with the gospel. You know, how do you go with the gospel? How do you make disciples? How do you build those sorts of cultures? What does the work of the Spirit look like in that environment? and then since 07, we've been in the States. So we were in Oklahoma City for three and a half years. Uh, and then during that time, we heard the Lord say, so you're here permanently as, as a family of missionaries to America. And then we're in Northeast Ohio with a, a, a megachurch there for five years, which is where we met Bobby, wasn't it? And um, That's right. Uh, <coughs> um, and uh, great experience there. Loved it. Saw the Lord do loads of stuff, particularly with missional communities. And then uh, we've been in Long Beach, California for five and a half years. Uh, Originally came to, moved here to work, to Long Beach to work with the church. And the short version of that was that didn't work. Uh, So a good story of failure in there. So, uh, and then the last three years or so, Hannah and I have been working full time serving the wider church through, call it dandelion resourcing. And that really, we focus on three areas. You can imagine, draw it as, a venn diagram so three overlapping circles so one would be disciple making one would be being on mission how do we go with the gospel and the third one is being naturally supernatural how do we do these things in the power of the spirit and we we would contend that as you see all three of those overlap that's where you start to see some real kingdom culture formed so um so that's why we're pre- if, if we do the, the the boiled down phrase it's Naturally supernatural disciple making is what we're trying to be about. So,
1: so Alex, uh, just for everybody to know, uh, not only do you work with uh, other leaders and churches, but you're also you have a—I don't know if you call it a house church movement or organic church movement, whatever you would call it. Yep. But you're also a practitioner uh, yep. of the vocational leadership, correct?
2: yeah tis yes yes, and we, we've been fortunate down the years to be in everything you know like I mentioned from very very large churches to medium large churches, and now this season we're we're doing it through through house churches or whatever you want to call them micro churches, and so um yeah we I think for us that's just what we do, I mean, I think probably like many watching here, we want to live out the gospel, we want to see our neighbors being reached or the you know the families we interact with or our kids' friends or Um, You know, the stage of life our our boys are at, and they're all back home now because of COVID. Uh, So we have lots of young adults uh, in our lives as well as, you know, people our age or our friends. So, you know, we always want to just be about that business.
1: Oh, that's great. Excuse me. I've got, uh, I'm like Joe Biden was yesterday. I just can't seem to speak without coughing. What do you call your... the the network that you're working with. In fact, just if you don't mind, take a second and tell us about your local work, because one of the things that you and I both believe is that we want to be about making disciples and about the local church, whether it's our job or not.
2: Correct. And
1: it, it's God's heartbeat His plan. A is the local church, but yeah. talk to us about your local church just for a second here. So, so our local situation
2: is not something we we're paid to do it's just something we do so it's not a job in that way um so the in the way we're in income is is about serving the wider church but so we you know when this other role in this church came to an end and we were thinking what's the lord calling us to we sensed we were meant to stay and so we we both felt the Lord was saying it's start small start with the local so we started a gathering in our home and started to draw in people um And we've seen, so it's a mixture of Christians and non-Christians in our circle of influence. Um, And we're seeking to, our heart is, we want to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. That's what we want. Now, people start at different places on the journey, uh, as we'd all be aware. So we've got neighbours who might be far from Jesus. Uh, Where we are in Long Beach, very diverse. By almost anything you want to measure it by, obviously, race, um, income, income. uh that, that there's a very large homosexual population for instance here um there's t- p- very different economic backgrounds and so um it's it's an interesting environment to be ministering in and so part of our hearts we want to equip other believers to work out well what does it look like for them to make outposts of the kingdom whether it's in their workplace or in their street or in the in the school or or, or, or whatever it is mm-hmm. um and so we try and live like that so it's it's not highly structured in it's not it's not a, it's not a um it's quite organic at this point but we feel that's the season the lord's got us and we think you know there'll be other seasons in our future but right now that's where we're at but i think like you implied that um bobby it's i think whoever we are it's always important to be having people you know if you say who are you praying for who are the lost people you're praying for yeah then i can tell you exactly who they are because i pray for them every day when i go and right now I'm, i go and prayer walk every day and i I'm, I'm praying for them by name you know who are, who are the people you're investing into Who are the people you're discipling um, and I could tell you who those people are. So it's you know that's just that's just the, like that's who all of us are meant to be. It's not about whether you're paid. Every one of us should be about this, and that's what we can equip all of us. Again, everyone watching, we can be
1: about that job of, of equipping people to live like that. That's that's really good. So um I know your rhythms, uh like everybody's rhythms, are probably off with COVID nineteen. But what are you guys doing right now in this in terms of your rhythms of weekly gatherings so
2: we are doing something every week we're doing uh, some sort of gathering in the kind of bigger sense we've done most of that online um but then we we so then we went through a phase where we started to do some things in the park uh big we in our in our group of about 30 or so there's a couple of people who are more vulnerable and we have to be more careful with we've also got several uh, we've got a number of people with families you know so they've got the kids and they like to be out and about and so we've done a mixture there we found we've what has worked quite well is we will sub divide into single sex groups and so we can do yeah. we've done those have worked quite well in backyards during this season um Something we did intentionally a couple of months ago is we bought a fire pit, a gas fire pit. So we can, that gives you a few more options when it gets a bit chillier. So, I mean, we're fortunate we're in Southern California saying so, you know, if it gets to 60 degrees, everyone gets their thick coats out and complains how cold it is. So it's a different environment. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, I think, um, it, I think there are options at this time, but what we've, so we're primarily online. And again, with the, the rise in the last month or so, that's what we've been doing for the last month. But I think hope, you know, that will come down. Uh, so we're going to look to go back in that direction. So it's that mixture of that. And then just in between times you meet, you can can get together, and meet up with people for a coffee or, um, you know, with phone calls and texts and that sort of stuff, just keeping people connected. I think we've noticed, and I'd be interested to know if this correlates to what you've seen, Bobby, I think people are really hungry for community at this time, just yeah. for that touch and for that, you know, just to share a bit of their story or what's going on or, Um, so we've found ourselves giving more space to that it's interesting so when we were doing um, prior to COVID our home churches always had meals as part of them uh, as a place of common you know community and fellowship so you can't do that online what we we did we stumbled into this Uh, what we've ended up replacing replacing that with is fun so we always do some sort of game or goofy thing or a favorite hat contest or a whatever it is um which is great for the kids they love that but it's great for the adults and i think what it does is it creates this environment where we're not i think the danger we can have sometimes we can be all about the task um and i think it's good to have those more um exactly sometimes you learn more about a person when you say go and get your your favorite hat to use that example you know or or we're trying to play pictionary over over zoom or whatever it is um and and that that just deepens the sense of community and friendship you know
1: alongside obviously you know that's really good um uh we've got a question in the chat box i'm going to get to in just a second alex i want to just share something and that's for anybody who's joining us you can see alex and i wrote a book um that came out about four years ago called discipleship that fits the five kinds of relationships that God uses to help us grow. I'm just showing you the picture there on amazon.com, because in it, we talk about the five discipling relationships. And Alex, in terms of what you just described with your uh, micro church, do you, do you call it a microchurch? Do you just call it a church? When, when you're talking to people, how do you describe what we you're it? We call it a
2: home church, because we find that that's the most obviously understandable for lost people.
1: Oh, okay, good. A home church, I like that. Um, now, um, Alex and I worked a lot on the different types of disciple making that go on in the five different relationships. So, um, I'm just going to tell them four people who've never heard this before. Uh, I'll start at the public space, which is typically a gathering of like a hundred, and then you have the social space, which is very much home church uh, in terms of. It's kind of like an extended family. And then you have the personal space, discipling relationships, which is like your typical small group. And then you have the transparent space, which is like a husband and wife or a group of, uh, I say, uh, can be up to like Jesus with uh, Peter, James, and John, sometimes Andrew. And then there's the divine space, which is you and God. And so, Alex, when you talk about home church, Talk to us about the rhythms in terms Mm -hmm. of those five spaces. Mm. So uh,
2: we would view that as being primarily in what you just called the social space, the social context. So groups of the sociologists, because there's some sociology behind this. uh, So that would be groups of 20 to 70. In reality, in church life, if it's in homes and stuff, it's probably groups in the mid to high teens through to 40-ish. By that point, it normally would have multiplied. but it's that, like you rightly say, it's that extended size. It's that, it's the gang. It's the tribe. It's the, it's the team. It's the, it's the orchestra. It's the whatever picture you want to have there. Um, and the thing that unites you in that size of gathering is you share snapshots that build bonds of affinities. So you, you don't know everyone deeply, but you get to know people. You get who they are and perhaps remember where most of them, perhaps where they work or perhaps an interest or two about them. And you, you can have these conversations and then some of those people you're to get to know more closely, obviously, as you go. But it's this extended family, which uh, in terms of being on mission is a much easier thing to invite people into because the glue that binds you together is something which naturally has some flex in it, allows new, more people to be drawn in. It's the, it's the back, think of the backyard grill out. It's a much easier space to invite people into. So we try and build it at that scale and then when we gather like that, then we'll, we will subdivide into smaller things. So I mentioned earlier, I think, single sex groups uh, where you might share private thoughts and feelings. So that's the uh, the next scale down. So you've got the public, the social, then you've got the personal context groups of four to 12. And so with that, um, so you might have, you know, the men might get together and we're going to perhaps process. May, if it's in the bigger gathering, it might be we've just been reading scripture together and we talk about that or we want to pray for one another or whatever it is um and so that smaller size is where people will really reveal let their guard down and they'll share private thoughts private feelings here's what's going on in my life <clears throat> and then obviously the, the scale below that which is your very closest relationships as you rightly talked about you can't organize those for others but you can encourage them so it's it you know you can say hey we'd like to encourage you perhaps to get with a couple of others on a very regular basis who you're going to really have a, a depth of closeness to have it could be a you know prayer triplet or accountability partnership or triad, whatever language you want to use. Um, I don't think you can tell people who that is, but you, you can really encourage it and give life for that. Uh, in, uh, uh, so give um, give value to that. So people have that in their lives. Good. And then the scale above it would obviously be the public context, but that's not really what's going to be happening in a home church environment.
1: Okay. I'll uh, stay with this. Uh, Bill Cheney, uh says in the, uh, uh, the chat box, he says, I'm sold on the plan for my church to make disciples. I have some people committed to Jesus and want to grow. What specifically do I do? Uh, here's what
2: I would do, Bill. I would identify say ten people and I would say to them what I want to do is I want to invest into you for the next year ahead during 2021 and what we're going to do is we're going to meet every two weeks maybe at first it's going to be on zoom God willing we're going to be able to get together in person and what we're going to do is uh, we're going to help each other grow as disciple making disciples of Jesus and I think the essence of that, for me, uh, and well, well, for both of us, because you know, we've talked about this so much, we, we use slightly different verbiage, but it's the same concept, which is we're wanting people to to have this sense of um, they know. So as they go through life, as they're thinking about how do I how do I deal with money if money's got tight, perhaps at this time, or my work feels really stressful, or my kids are driving me nuts or whatever the deal of life is. The S, those are all disciple making moments. And what we want people to w- learn to do is they can discern what is Jesus saying and how are they going to respond in faith? Um, and so it's building that into people's rhythms and lifestyles. So I think what you'd be doing is um, help, helping people step into processing what's going on in their lives or in the places where they lead, uh here's some things that are coming up and we're really trying to help sometimes they're going to know really straight away quickly sorry they're going to know straight away quickly they know what jesus is saying the challenge for them is are they willing to be obedient um other times the issue is really trying to work out gosh i don't know what the lord is saying and that's the toughest thing and once they've got that clear then the obedience part will follow um so i think it i would look for some people who you can give some who you would enjoy being with you want to invest into they want to be invested into by you because if 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 there's no relational connectivity it's going to be a nightmare uh and gather with them on a regular basis and help them work through the stuff of life because that's the essence of what disciple making is now you can have stimulus material we can give you some ideas on that uh obviously we're going to be in the word because that's going to come in lots along the way uh but it's, it's almost like I don't want to focus at the outset on the stimulus material, because we'll, we'll let the dangers will turn it to a program. The essence of it is you're helping people get clarity on I'm learning from Jesus. You know, the disciple, mathētēs in Greek, is someone who learns. So we're learning from Jesus as we do life. And you don't have to have all the answers either, but what you're doing is you're helping us good questions. And you yourself are being vulnerable in that environment. You're helping them learn those disciplines of being sensitive to the spirit, sensitive to what Jesus is saying. And then stepping out in faith in responding to that.
1: That's good. Okay, Rick has a question. He says, what is the best way you have found to cast vision for a, dis- a missional disciple-making life?
2: Stories. So it's, if you can start to tell stories of lost people who you're starting to impact personally, that makes that makes a massive difference in people's lives um, related to that related to the story would be this here's a question some of the last people say if you're in a church uh, environment i might say with in other words, with believers i might say to them um what i want you to do right now is to write down a name and this name is going to be of someone you know you care for them you, you might well say i love this person um, but they're not yet a believer And for whatever reason, they're not going to show up on a Sunday morning. Let's just pretend there's no such thing as COVID. They're not going to show up to a Sunday morning service. And they might have terrible reasons for not doing that. uh, But the point is they're not coming. You're not going to argue them into turning up. So who's that person for you? And then what would it look like? What does church need to look like to reach that person where they are today? So instead of us extracting them out of their workplace or the street or the soccer club, Um, you're working out how do I go as a missionary into the environment where they are already and what what would good news be to them so for instance my primary place of mission right now is my neighborhood so what does good news look like to my neighbors uh, at the moment in this environment where we are today Uh, what is the kingdom coming how would how would they see that and 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 be really stirred to think differently about the presence of God's kingdom and now give them pause for thought uh what um what is what does what difference would would jesus make in their lives today i mean obviously i can't preordain that but i think sometimes we can have a sense of what that would look like for them and we're starting to lean into those things uh with people so i think the vision piece is you want to make it personal for people for the christians like who is that name who are those people you'd love to see the bible I think the language we can use biblically is person of peace. Who are their people of peace? Um, but uh, And then I think tell stories of where you or others in the church are starting to make a difference. You're starting to make connections with your neighbours uh, or, or, or people in, in your place of mission. And, and celebrate those stories and, and tell them because that will inspire people. Just those little moments. So um, it, it could be as simple as, hey, I was with my neighbor the other day, and we were, we were just chatting, you know, six feet apart uh, and catching up, and he was just bemoaning the fact that it's it's his kids are at home and they're under his feet and he's getting really stressed out about it. And somewhere in there, you felt this Holy Spirit pounding in your heart, and you said to him, uh, hey, hey, Mike, I know this might sound crazy to you, but um, yeah, I, I, I really think Jesus wants to help you be a better dad at this time because it's so hard and it's really stressful, and I totally get what you're saying. And I think God's got, wants to help you. Would it be okay if I just prayed for you, for you as a parent in this time, and that you would know the wisdom of God? Because I don't have that wisdom, but I think God does. And here's the funny thing when we've, when we've asked that of non Christians, almost always they go, Oh, that'd be wonderful. Thank you so much. I'd love that. You've got to be a really, really, really militant atheist to say no to a question like that. Because yeah. we find that lost people actually, they'd have n- they've never experienced being prayed for uh they that that a lot of a lot of most people are, are spiritually attuned it's just it's perhaps misdirected or they haven't got language for it properly or whatever they've got bad experiences all that stuff well you can cut through a lot of that because what you do is you just stop and pray for them and the spirit comes and they have this ex- encounter with god which i tell you what that's that's the quickest way to get spiritual conversations happening yeah and that goes on so um so yeah, so that's probably a long, rambling answer to that to that question.
1: Well, I think that that's really good, and you you highlighted in there the core things that you often talk about, and that is praying for people that it's naturally supernatural, that it's um, you're going into their lives, and uh, ultimately you're trying to raise up not just disciples but disciple makers. Alex, take a second and tell everybody about naturally supernatural. What do you mean by that, and why that's important?
2: we can't make disciples in our own strength and we can't win lost people to Jesus in our own strength. There's lots of skills we can grow in. There's lots of uh, wisdom we can gain, but ultimately it's a work of the spirit. Uh, you know, Salvation isn't something that we can bring out. It's the spirit who brings conviction of, of sin, of the need of God. And I think um, it's interesting when Jesus sends out the the original disciples who are with him. Almost every time when he sends them out, he says, um, "Heal the sick, drive out demons." Sometimes he says, "Raise the dead," uh, and proclaim the kingdom has come. And it's interesting how he ties these elements together. It's interesting when you look at his life and ministry how often um, the proclamation came alongside these acts of power. And then if you look in Acts. Uh, he says to them, you know, he says uh, after his ascent, uh, sorry, after his resurrection, before the ascension, he tells them, "You I know, mean, you've got to wait to be clothed with power from on high." And it's only once Pentecost comes that the disciples become effective at making other disciples and at being on mission. Uh, and of course, we can read the stories of A- in Acts of how they live that out. And I think the the, the teaching and the rest of new testament paul talks to this in multiple places uh, goes down that pathway so for me naturally supernatural is uh we all are meant to operate as overtly spiritual men and women and boys and girls so god has given us equipping and tools and resources that enable us to live like that so we can access these things that appear to be very supernatural so for instance healing the sick Uh, or having prophetic insight to situations, or setting people free from demonic strongholds in their lives, or or praying for miracles to take place. We can see these things happen. They're not just history. It's not a history book, the Gospels. The Gospels is a living book, and we're meant to live like that today. Uh, But I think the naturally part of it is, I think what's often gone wrong, and why I think sometimes why believers have Struggled with these areas is because we've either seen misuse or inappropriate use or abusive use of these things or so you get that side of things. or alternatively we just don't quite know how do I do this in my everyday life like how do I do this with my in a kind of quiet normal voice with my colleague in the next door cubicle or with um uh you know someone I'm at the gym with or with my next door neighbor uh, and I think we have these mental pictures which are not helpful they're probably in some of them are informed by truth, or, or reality. And they're informed by Hollywood as well. And you think you've got to be a big, shiny-suited person who pushes people over and shouts and spits a lot. You know um, that—that—that's not what we're meant to be about. That's not what we think. It needs to be something. There's a naturalness about it. There's a there's an ease. Um, let me give you an example. So I play soccer uh, because, as you know, Bobby, it's Jesus's favourite sport. Uh, and and
1: you didn't um, call it football.
2: No, well, I'm, I'm I'm a missionary to America, so I have to go bilingual here at this <laughs> point. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we play every week with a bunch of guys, a lot of, um, um, it's a very international group, a lot of them work for, there's a big Boeing uh, place, so a lot of them work there, and there's, there's other guys as well. And this is one chap who's uh, who's Italian, very mouthy, uh, my sort of age, we get on really well, actually. It's, it's lots of fun, I really like him, and um, we chat and talk and all the rest of it. And... Um, but he about a couple of months ago we he stopped a bit early in the game and he went to sat down and I felt just this nudge from the spirit to go over and uh, his back was playing up and I know he's had back problems in the past. So he was talking about it and he is definitely not saved like listening to his language, listening to his lifestyle he I, he's definitely not safe. And so he's turning me and I feel this holy spirit digging the ribs. So I go, hey um, hey fab this this probably sounds crazy but um i've seen jesus heal people's backs before would it be all right if i prayed for you and he just looked at me which was not like him because normally he's not short of a word or two so he just looks at me and and i suddenly get this rush of well rush of blood and i go oh come on fab you're a you must be up for something for a bit of jesus something and he goes oh all right then so he's sitting on the ground and i kind of walk over to him i put my hand i fully stretched out because obviously covid and i put my hand i said where's it hurting and he showed me on his back and so i put my hand there and i prayed like really short simple prayer something like dear jesus thank you that you love fab i pray now that you reveal to him how much you love him by healing his back in your mighty name we pray amen and then i step back and he's like he's really quiet he's like he starts looking around and he's starting to twist a bit and he's doing this and he goes he goes that's that's crazy," he says the pain's gone. He says, and he goes, he said, when you put your hand on me, he said, I felt all this heat go up and down my back. Really? And I, yeah. And I go, so I try to look nonchalant at this point. I go, well, you know, some often we see that's a sign of God's presence, Holy spirit coming on people when healing's happening. And he goes, wow, that's, that's amazing. And so we chat for a minute and then, then the game kind of wraps up and he's talking to some other people and we're walking off the field, like say five minutes later. And, um, uh, He's like ten yards behind me, fifteen yards behind me, and he says to some some other boys. He goes, some of the lads, and he goes, um, he goes, he goes, he shouts out, he goes, Alex, my back's my back's great, it's really better, and they go, what's going on? And he said, oh, he goes, oh, Alex, he did some Jesus juju on my back, and it's made it all better again. <laughs> so. And, and what we found is that, and so out of that, then you get some really interesting spiritual conversations and we're starting to have spiritual conversations with a guy who seemingly was a long way from God. You know, if you did the angle scale, be like minus eight or something, you know, uh, but it jumps the conversation. I think that's what I mean by being naturally supernatural. We are, we are meant to be ones who heal the sick and, but we can do it in just very simple down to earth ways and it makes a difference. And it opens up gospel opportunities with the lost but and with believers. It it builds faith. It opens up all sorts of other conversations as well. And it just it's a blessing because God is good. He likes, he likes to give us good things.
0: I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center an auditorium for our main events and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, eBooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
1: Alex, do you involve yourself? With a lot of fasting and prayer uh, for that kind of ministry,
2: we do do fasting prayer. Yes, yeah. So it's something which um, I mean, I'm certainly not like an ex. I'm you know I'm no guru on it, but we we regularly fast and pray. Yes, it's something which has been often on part of our probably pattern most of our life. I remember when I was a young Christian reading a Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Yeah which talks about that. And I know you know that book well. So, and, and there were, f- I was fortunate in the first church we, we served and we led a church plant, but there was like a mother church. And the guy who led that, who's still a f- good friend of mine. Um, he and his father was in ministries, full-time ministry as well, and uh, very committed to prayer and prayer and fasting was part of that culture as well. So it's something we learned there. Um, and But definitely in this season, and probably we've, We've not prayed and fasted as much as we've done this year. To be honest, I still hate fasting. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. But um, there's this interesting scripture. I don't know what you think about this one, Bobby. There's that scripture where the, after the transfiguration, the, Jesus comes down the mountain, and yeah, yeah, yeah. his demon out, and they can't get the demon out, and they say later, what's gone wrong? And they, Jesus says, this kind of doesn't come out except by prayer, or, or the footnote is prayer and fasting.
1: Yeah, was in some of the early manuscripts
2: exactly and so if you take the pre and fasting part of it you go what does that mean yeah and there's i don't think you disagree with me on this here's my th- thinking on it i don't think he's telling them off for not having fasted in that moment because in the moment they were with the boy and his family they weren't yeah. like we're going away to fast for 12 hours before we come back sometimes that might be what the lord says but i don't think that's what he means that i think what he means is there's some sort of one of the pathways, we don't want to create a new legalism, but one of the pathways to greater spiritual authority and power is is the discipline of the flesh, disciplining our flesh as it were. So we we or put more positively, we choose we're just going to be wholehearted in our worship and our devotion to the Lord. And we're going to take on board disciplines that help facilitate that. And prayer and fasting is one of the disciplines that believers have found helpful down the century.
1: Yeah. So so this is interesting because I was actually going to Ask you about the demonic, so I'm gonna uh, tell you something and then ask about it. So, um, I uh, became a follower of Jesus, uh, when I was at 20, uh, at the University of Calgary in Canada, and uh, I was discipled in a tradition at that time that we people called a cessationist tradition that, um, uh, that, that held that, uh, in addition to the gifts, uh, the supernatural gifts of prophecy and tongues and so forth, um, passing with the apostles, so did exorcism and things like that. uh, That that was tied up with the apostles, and when the apostles died out, that didn't happen anymore. Well, uh, when I was ministering in Canada, I had a really uh, life-changing experience when we were asked to help a woman who had been raised uh in the occult uh where they literally worshiped satan mm-hmm. and uh so she would meet with my wife and i and and she would tell us stories and uh we would pray with her and and once we prayed with her and uh really weird things happened. i was praying for her and all of a sudden i couldn't remember her name and it was like mm-hmm. what and mm-hmm. then uh um there had been an old baptist missionary who had spent his life working with uh, Indians. There was an Indian reservation uh, near where we lived uh, in Calgary. And uh, he was like, yeah, he was all over the whole demonic thing. So I had some more experiences with him. Well, paradigm shifting. I'm going to tie it into when the disciples come down from the mountain uh, and they find out that uh, this kind doesn't come out, you know, comes out with, with fasting. Well, It says prayer, and the inference there is intense prayer, and the early church uh, in some of the early manuscripts had fasting. Mm -hmm. So anyway, when I was researching, so I decided I was going to research exorcism in the early church from the time of the apostles up through the Nicene Council. I ended up researching exorcism up through Mm -hmm. the time of Augustine, somewhere around 430, last book of the New Testament written probably 90 AD. So, so that period from 90 AD up until 430. Uh, and what I found is the only way you could say that exorcism went away is if you denied the historical evidence. Yeah. As, as an example yeah. in uh Eusebius gives us a list of the payroll of the church in Rome And I think it's either 251 or 253 A.D. And in it, he talks about how the church in Rome uh, supported 1,500 widows, 90 elders, seven deacons, and 52 full-time exorcists. No. Yes. Ah. Ah. Ramsey McMillan was uh, kind of uh, taught at Yale, was one of the leading – historians of the expansion of Christianity. And uh, he was quoted as to what caused Christianity to grow so fast in the 100s and 200s. And he said, well, if you listen to the writings of the Christians themselves, Mm -hmm. they said, people will say, it's because they loved each other and all that. I'm sure that was a part of it. But he says, if you listen to the Christians themselves, It was because they were so effective at casting out demons. Mm. That's why Christianity grew so fast. So interesting. Very interesting. So that leads me to say, when you look at what they wrote, they would often talk about fasting and prayer in conjunction with uh, exorcism or releasing. They wouldn't use the language so much of exorcism, but of freeing people from demons. So having spent a lot of time with Shadonke Johnson, whom mm. you know, Alex, mm-hmm. you know, his movement is all about fasting and prayer mm-hmm. at a very high level. Mm. And uh, our church, we're really trying to lean into fasting and prayer as well. But the tie-in, and Shadonke has made this on numerous occasions, with breaking spiritual strongholds. Mm. So a spiritual stronghold is a place where there's demonic forces have a foothold. Mm. And uh, he points out to the high correlation of fasting and prayer in breaking those strongholds. So my question to you is, uh, in your naturally supernatural, talk to us about the demonic in terms of how you understand it and see God working. So
2: we read of demons lots in the Gospels. You've correctly said that. You know, I I love that stat. I didn't have that stat, but I've been actually just recently this month. I've been reading um, a lot of uh, some good material on the natural supernatural in in church history and some of those, you know, early texts and stuff. Uh, The demons haven't disappeared, Like demons are still around. Uh, They look different. They manifest differently in the West as they compare to, say, West Africa, where where Shadonke is. but they're still very much here. Just because our culture poo-poo's the spiritual realm, that doesn't mean the spiritual realm's disappeared. Yeah. Um, so here it's going to come up. They're going to manifest more in um, uh, issues to do with uh, misuse of money or sex or power. It's going to be addictive, addictive behaviour. It's 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 going to be control. It's going to be, you know, and there's going to be all those that it's you know that demons get empowered by false worship demons get empowered by um in effect anytime we we turn our back on the way of the lord um there's potential for the enemies to get some sort of foothold in that in people's lives and i think what again if we go back to our culture is one whereby uh we're both fascinated by the demonic look at the number of horror movies out there but also we misunderstand it so it's i i think most of the time it's not going to manifest in, in people crawling around like spiders with their heads spinning around it's it's going to be much more nuanced and subtle like that but i think there's a heck of a lot of deliverance yeah. that that needs to go on in people particularly i think I'd, I'd suggest that as we become more and more post-christian as a culture the people who start to come into our orbit and start to get to um, drawn to faith, start to, we start to disciple. There's, deci- deliverance is going to become more and more normative in the life of the church. Yeah.
1: So um, I've got a couple of questions I want to get to. Uh, Rick, you've got right. some questions. Yep. I want to get to those. But I do want to ask this. So how do you, how do you broach that topic, Alex, uh, when you feel that uh, someone's difficulties are related to strong demonic activity? What do you do?
2: So Fun enough, we were having this conversation this morning about a, a situation with a woman. And she's her background is one where she was involved with uh, occult stuff. So she um she messed around a lot with Ouija boards, her parents had some very dodgy spiritual beliefs. Um, and so and there was a lot of trauma in her life. And and you know, we don't oversimplify everything. But part of the conversation, how do we address this with, with this woman? And so I think for me, it would be um, in the context of relationship, in the context of a conversation, you know, someone's going, well, I'm really struggling with this thing. And, you know, there is a there is a spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. So if you're sensing this could be something there. I might say something like, you know, um, this might sound strange to you, so bear with me. But something we've seen happen a lot is that there is a spiritual realm. And there is God, and he's good, and he's the creator, he's He's almighty, he is in charge. But there are these fallen angels who are demons. That There's not yin and yang, they're not equal, but they're still there. And whilst God is the creator and almighty of everything, these demons do have some power and influence over us. And um, what we see is that often when there's junk in our lives, that can be a place where these these demonic presence have an influence or an impact, some sort of control over part of our lives, um, and I just wonder whether the reason you're struggling with this ongoing addictive behaviour, or the reason there's this perpetual nightmares going on, or the reason why you seem to have illness after illness after illness, the reason why you yourself perhaps have said you feel like you're cursed. Well, we believe, you know, sometimes curses are real things. I know sometimes we use yeah. that as language, but also they can be real things. And so I wonder whether if you are up for this, whether it'd be worth exploring that together and, and make some time to pray with you and over you, um, because uh, you might find that becomes the pathway to healing. But just so you know, we, it's it's a, because it's a spiritual battle, once you have your eyes opened, there's no neutral territory in this battle. Oh. So... It's, you know, and then you start to talk about Jesus and all the rest of it. But I think that's the sort of conversation you might have. With yeah, me. I like
1: that. Would you ever use uh, Neil Anderson's Steps to Freedom? Mm,
2: I've, yeah, his stuff's really good, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think it's help. We've modified it a bit with his permission, but the idea of um, addressing the demonic in a specific way that he lays out, yeah. um, I think people need specifics, so... Yep. And you may have something as well. In fact, before I get to these last questions, Alex, talk to us a little bit about Dandelion Resourcing. If, if somebody says, hey, I like what Alex is talking about, I'd like to develop some of these, uh, like, like home church, uh, this kind of organic church, uh, community church type thing, how can they get in touch with you?
2: So we've got a website, which is dandelionresourcing.com. Uh, one of the big things we're doing at the moment is, so there's a couple of areas where we're particularly finding, um, there's a lot of interest right now. So one thing we do is a naturally supernatural coaching cohort. So that's um, a 12-month process. You're with a little group of people, a small group size. and We do it online. It's all on Zoom. And we meet twice a month. And each month, there's a theme. So like month one is hearing the voice of God. Month two is healing the sick. Month three is building a naturally supernatural theology. And we go through we, we talk about spiritual warfare and deliverance and faith and all sorts of stuff um and it's a mixture of we want to do great biblical teaching very practical here's how you do this in reality and lots of uh, and activation exercises so the homework we do make people do homework but the homework will be things like for instance i think month one the first homework is uh, in the next two weeks go and try and prophesy five to over five different people and see what happens
1: yeah, and of course part
2: of it is there's failure but we learn from failure and that we give safety rules so it's not just lunacy so just there's lots of stuff i'm going to now so that's a big thing we do we find that's very helpful for lots of people so if you're interested reach out to us on that and then the other pieces we're finding we're doing a quite a lot of work with churches and leaders who are coming out of covid and we're well not coming out but you know we're looking ahead for beyond covid and uh, and i know you're big of this on the bobby as well which is we recognize that it's it's we are not going to go back to what it was like before so if we're just hanging on desperately thinking oh once this is gone we've all had the the, the vaccination and somehow it's going to just snap back to what it's like before it's not going to be like that the post-covid world is going to be very different yeah. and the lord has the lord didn't send covid but he's using it and i think he's concertinaing the timeline to help the church be aware we have to when we come out the churches that thrive and develop are the ones that are going to be clear on disciple making. They're going in mission. They're doing it in the power of the Spirit. And there's going to be massive, massive opportunity that's there. At the same time, we're also going to be seeing churches close. We're going to be seeing some ministries fold and go under because I think there's going to be more of a, a shaking out like that. Yeah. Um,
1: no, I, I think that that's right. Well, let me let me get to these questions. Uh, Rick's asking um, again in, in terms of a home church context, like what you're doing, or micro church or missional church, um, connecting with, uh, uh unbelievers. You asked the question, uh, do you have believers and unbelievers in the group, which of course you yes. do, but talk to us about how you connect the non-believers into a group of believers like that.
2: So, um, we try and make everything accessible to, to unbelievers unless it's like a leader's meeting, but we always say, you can also bring friends, everyone's welcome, uh, make it part of the culture. So there's no kind of secret stuff in that way and i i would just say to, i think it's it's built upon you being personally a witness into your place of mission i think as a group you can perhaps do some surf things or some outreach things uh, which help facilitate that and uh, so whether it's you invite people to come and join you in something spiritual you invite them to come and join something social or invite you to join you in some sort of surf thing you'll find there's lots of ways to draw lost people in so um, have I got a quick, quick New Year's Eve idea, Bobby? I'll go really fast on this. I know we're near the end of time. So something we're going to do is um, uh, this. This year has been a year of great loss and trauma and disappointment and frustration, and f- f- for so many people, I think most lost people haven't had a way to process that effectively. And so what we're going to do is we're going to r- write a letter to all our neighbours and in, our, in our, Street and invite them to come. It's gonna be like midday on New Year's Eve. And we say, We're gonna come and gather, we'll take 15 minutes. And we're going to, uh, uh, what we'll actually do is when they get here, as we're gonna give them a piece of paper and say, Write down on this, um, to to some of your things that have been disappointments for this year, that your losses and so on. And then they're not gonna show it to anyone. And then what we might do is say, If a few people want to share some of those, we'll do that. And then we'll pray. So we'll just need to pray like we could give these things back to God uh we'll give them to i don't think from god we give these things to god and then we'll have like a brazier going and we'll invite people to burn these things as a way of saying i'm letting go of this stuff and then the second half of this will be we're going to give them a card which will say something like my prayer slash dream for 2021 and on the bottom we'll probably put something like blessed to be a blessing and get people to again write it or draw on it whatever what they would love and then we're going to again we'll hold them we'll we'll pray we'll get a few people to share them, pray over it. And again, different people, different spirituality, but people will go with the flow. And then we're gonna get buy a load of helium balloons, which you can buy super inexpensively uh, from like 99 cent stores and so on. And we're gonna get people, tie them, tie the cards to these balloons and we'll take them to an open space and do a countdown, you know, countdown from 10 and launch them together as a way of like, we're just giving these dreams to God for this next year. And it's super simple, it feels like an event but it's a great way to do something very spiritual in your neighbourhood. That's going to connect with not everyone will, but that's going to connect with some people because it's a way of like letting go and taking on as we go into this new year. So I think doing things like that, uh, that's quite a bigger thing. But you know, it's even it's the other way is simplest is you sit on your front porch and have a drink with someone, and it's everything in between. But we've worked really hard to be intentional on in doing that our community, and that's a great way to draw lost people into the community that's that's forming in your space
1: No, that's great well uh, I have one uh, last question for you um, but before we get to that I think Dave's gonna show uh, just a brief invitation for people to join with us in our holistic disciple making masterclass
0: Dave you wanna show that hey guys you can have immediate access to all the material from the holistic disciple making intensives and you can purchase the course for personal use at a time that's best for you. It's called our Holistic Disciple Making Masterclass and Certification. And with it, you get access to all the in depth discussions in video and in written form, online assessments, and you get discipleship.org's certification. So for more information, please click the tab below.
1: Well, Alex, I just want to personally thank you again for making time to share with us. And my one question, just as we close, first of all, I've got to say I really appreciate your emphasis on practical ways to minister to people who don't know Jesus. Uh, because part of disciple-making is, in fact, uh, I always tell people of your line, the disciple-making begins at hello. And uh, it does. So if you're to encourage everybody with um, just a good insight or encouragement for reaching and discipling lost people in 2021, what would it be? I think lost
2: people are far more open to spiritual realities than we give them credit for. I think we we go around and we assume that they're going to go I hate you and never want to talk to you again. How dare you say something spiritual? I don't think that's the case. I think most people are hungry for these, you know, for these spiritual realities. I think our job is just to make it feel quite normal in everyday, and uh, and so I think if you can just find those simple ways to come alongside someone, love them, it's the literal or metaphorical arm around the shoulder wherever they're at, and just give them this simple next step, and it might be. Hey, i read this bible verse i don't i don't know if you've ever read the bible i read but it's really changed how i deal with my kids when they're being difficult or how i view stress or something like that and then say could i just pray for you i think that so if i give you a phrase here's the thing i think the thing that we found most helpful is when we say to a lost person can i pray for you hmm. it's like i shouldn't say it's like magic that's not good theology but it's 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 extraordinary how that opens up people uh i've I don't think I've ever been turned down by a lost person when I've said, can I pray for you in in the context of a little bit of relationship. Um, So whatever their situation, because what you're doing is, I don't have the answer, but I've got a friend who does, you know, that I know a man who does. And so I'm just simply saying, could I just pray for you? And again, you don't, you don't do an epic prayer. It's like short, sweet to the point, simple, non-religious language. And you just start and what, i can't tell you the number of times i've seen people look up who are like otherwise super together and they've got tears in their eyes and they're going i've never that's so amazing thank you for doing that that was so meaningful um and you've just done a simple prayer and you've invited jesus into the middle of their situation and they're so impacted and they'll say flaky stuff and all the rest of it you don't have to the theology will catch up they don't have the language for it yet but we can do that. And I think if you if you went through this year, just prayerfully saying, Lord, I'd love for you to pray. Can I pray for you with some folks? I think you're going to have so much fun.
0: So that was Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom. And man, I hope that podcast moved you as much as it did me. Just hearing the simplicity of just asking someone if you can pray for them. That's such a powerful thing. I mean, how powerful is that when we as believers have another believer ask us that? That's powerful to us. Imagine somebody who has no context for that kind of selfless love. You know, that's got to be such a powerful thing and such an easy way into sharing the gospel. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast so that you can be aware every time I release a new episode. I'll be taking clips like this one from our Q&A sessions that we have hosted online in our Discipleship.org collective. And I'll also be taking clips from our usually in-person national disciple making forums. You know, last year, something crazy happened and we all had to be online for some reason. Can't remember why. Oh yeah. Pandemic. That's why. So I'll be doing those and releasing those soon. So make sure you check back for those. Thanks so much again for listening and I'll see you next time.